Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke, page 725 in the Church Bibles. Luke chapter 2. We're just going to read beginning in verse 8 to verse 14 as we make our way through those verses. And actually, our focus will just be on a few. Okay, let's hear the word of the Lord, verse 8, Luke's gospel. And they and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be For all the people, today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men, humanity on whom his favor rests. Amen. Let's pray. And Father, we would ask this morning that you would make true, and everyone that will be here this morning, now and later, you'll make true the Christmas hymn, let every heart prepare him room. For Jesus' sake, we pray these things. Amen. I'm wondering, have you ever heard someone say something like this? The Christmas holiday didn't really begin with Christianity. It actually grew out of a Roman festival, and the smart ones will name it. It grew out of a pagan Roman festival named Saturnalia, And therefore, Christmas and all the celebrations isn't actually Christian. It's actually pagan. So have you ever heard this? I bet you have. In fact, I bet if you use social media, you probably read this article. Maybe one of your friends dropped it on your feed telling you to watch out, put away your Christmas lights because Christmas is pagan. So they say, if if you exchange gifts... And if you have a Christmas tree with lights on it especially, and if you kiss under the mistletoe, because mistletoe has all kinds of connotations, and if you do that Christmas stuff, you're behaving like a pagan and not a Christian. But are we? Are we? This uh, Saturnalia festival was in honor of the ancient Roman god Saturn, uh, the god of gods in, in Rome at that time, and it was held on December 17th each year, and it was celebrated for about a week. And in that week, work was put aside, the normal routines of life were put aside, and frankly, morals were put aside because it was party time. And it wasn't like a daytime party with, you know, coffee and and cake and cookies and polite conversation. Rather, this was uh, like a nighttime party. Right? With all that nighttime stuff. 
Now think about that for a moment or two, but only for a moment or two. However, history tells us that Christians actually did begin to celebrate Christmas during this Saturnalia holiday, at least in the Roman Empire. So someone immediately says, aha, I knew it, I knew it. No, aha is not helpful, but oh, I see is, and here's why. The celebration of Christmas began as a gospel remedy, gospel medicine to neutralize or better still counteract the Roman pagan holiday. It was a way for Christians to point to Christ and to a true and good and lasting reason for joy and for celebration. In other words, joy is not a license for a week to let it rip and sin. But joy is a celebration designed to point to salvation from sin through Jesus Christ, who was born, who came into this world to save us from our sins. Joy. Now, loved ones, the wisdom of the early church said this. If we do not celebrate the incarnation, the birth of Christ deliberately, At some point in the year, if we do not make much of Jesus Christ in this way and why he actually came to earth, we may be in danger of doing it hardly at all or maybe even not at all. And then, which is what happens now in the world, people will come up with all kinds of reasons to tell us why there is a Christmas. So you see this in the nice Hallmark movies, right? Christmas means little Jimmy will get his family back. Or Susie will get the scholarship. Or Betty and Bob, they're going to fall in love and then they're going to fall out of love and then they're going to fall back in love and it's going to be a Christmas miracle. Now listen, don't get me wrong. Of course I want little Jimmy to get his family back. Even if it's a pretend family. And I want Susie to rub some of that scholarship mojo on me because in about nine months I I might have two kids in college. And yes, Betty and Bob, I want you to kiss at the end of the movie and, and just, you know, walk away in the sunset. I understand that stuff. If you, if you have dictionary.com as an app, this morning's word you will remember was mythopoeic. And that means producing or giving rise to myths. You see, if we don't understand true meaning of Christmas, then myths will arise All kinds of answers to why. So when we ask the question, what Christmas means to me or others, that isn't a good question. Because people could have a million reasons of what Christmas means to them. And then you'd have to ask the question, who's right? What Christmas means, that's the question. But not only this. The early church determined in order to expose the lie of these pagan parties with God's truth that they would have their own Christian Christmas worship services declaring God's truth and they would have their own Christian Christmas parties enjoying the joys and the privileges of God's truth. And I hope you see this because here's why. Because the true meaning of Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas means something for everyone who's ever existed. The birth of Jesus Christ changed the course of human history. Jesus Christ may have been born and died some 2,000 years ago, but it was planned before the foundation of this world. The birth, the death, 
the resurrection of Jesus, because without Jesus being raised from the dead, you don't have, any, you don't have Christianity. The birth and death and resurrection of Jesus determines the destiny of every person. Now think of this. The destiny of every person in every country who has ever lived, who is living, or will live. You have to understand this. The history of the world hinges on this one child being born. The eternal destiny of you and I, of your parents, of your nieces, your nephews, your neighbors, your colleagues at work, your kids. Everyone who's ever lived hinges on this one child being born. So the church wisely said, in late December, in light of this pagan festival, we need to make much of Jesus Christ and we need as many people as possible to see Christ and to know Christ and to hear Christ preach so that by God's grace, they can be rescued from their sins, saved from God's punishment, eternal punishment on them. Now, loved ones, just think with me, okay? You're sensible people think. How has that worked out? How has it worked out? Well, on one level, you could say this. They were very wise because Christmas services, along with Easter services, are usually the two biggest attendance times in the life of most churches in America, indeed the world. You see? And so we use this time not only to remind ourselves of the gospel, we use this time to encourage ourselves in the gospel because we so often lose the battle of indwelling sin. However, we also use this time to tell people, to tell unbelievers the gospel. You ready? This is what we tell them. Christ came into the world to save us from our sins. That's Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. This Christ was the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God who suffered and died for our sins. John chapter 1, verse 29. And you and I by nature oppose God. We ignore God. We fight God. We're at odds with God. We, we don't worship God as God all the time as we should. Ephesians 2, 1 through 4. Romans 3, 1 through 20. And this behavior, if left unchanged will bring eternal punishment from God, wrath, if we remain this way. Romans 6.23, 1 Thessalonians 2.10. Therefore, since we cannot fix ourselves, since we cannot change ourselves, we need someone to help us. We need someone to save us. We need someone to stand in our place, bear God's punishment on our sin. We need to be rescued. John chapter 3, the whole thing, especially verse 36, and every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then, the good news is, is that we have this person in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, let me ask you to take a simple test. Because you see, when we get our Christmas cards and we watch Christmas shows, the preoccupation is typically on the, you know, the kind of like cleaned up Christmas scene of verses 6 and 7. Right? So you see Mary on the card or in the movie. She looks like a movie star. Baby Jesus looks like a Gerber baby, you know? You see the scene. Your heart goes, oh, so touching. And, and if you're not careful, you miss the focus that Luke, especially Luke, is trying to tell us. Luke spends only two verses on the scene of Christmas. That's verse 6 and 7. Let me read it to you. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. 
She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And most people get that whole thing wrong of how it actually was. Two verses focusing on the scene. Luke gives two chapters, however, explaining what this scene, what this birth means. Two verses to the Christmas scene, two chapters to explain what it means. So his preoccupation is for us to understand the meaning of Christmas. Why, why the meaning of Christmas and not all the Christmas scenery? Because everyone's eternal destiny, the eternal destiny of those we know and love, maybe even are at odds with, they, their destiny is hanging in the balance. So here's the test. Let me ask you, one week before Christmas, do you understand the true meaning of Christmas? Do you understand the true meaning of Christmas? That's the question. That's the test. And wonderfully, it's an open book test. It's an open Bible test. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, you'll see this if your Bible is open, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Okay, here's the test. You have understood Christmas. Indeed, you have understood Christianity. If... And only if it is the best news you have ever heard in your life. If Christ coming in Christmas and all that it would entail, if it's not the best news you have ever heard in your life, then you can be sure, you can be absolutely certain that you have misunderstood Christmas. So year by year, Christmases just go by. And if this isn't the best news you've ever heard, then you can be sure you misunderstand the meaning of Christmas. A good news, great joy. Which is why you may know the events of Christmas, but if you don't understand the meaning, you may not know personally the Christ of Christmas. Now let's put my answer to the test, shall we? Let's just take a moment and just think about this. I asked myself the question, What's some of the best news I've ever heard in my life? And my mind went straight to my wife. Here's why. She spent four and a half hours on a Friday night in a winter storm driving with me to the cities to pick up our son in the airport. And I was driving at the top speed of about 35 to 38 miles an hour. (laughs) Snowstorm. And I probably prayed every prayer that I've ever prayed in my life, two hands on the wheel. In fact, a high point in it when when I had to touch her for a second, she goes, yeah, your hands are really sweaty. (laughs) Okay, so let's put it to the test. What's some of the best news I've ever heard? 27 years ago, I heard this news. She likes me. 26 and a half years ago, she loves me. About 26 years ago, She's going to marry me. Good news. 20 years ago, she's pregnant. 17 years ago, she's pregnant again. Three years ago. Wow. Wow. She's finally wrong. Huh. (laughs) Who knew? Now, I use those two minutes for me to butter her up. Apologize. What's the best news I've ever heard? is when I was seven years old, Homestead, Florida, Baptist Church, summer night, Sunday night. 
and they told me the gospel. They told me that this Jesus could save me from my sins, past, present, future, and usher me past my death into the very throne of God and in his presence forever. They told me that the righteousness of Jesus Christ would be given to me my whole life, past life, and for all eternity. So that my standing with God would always be on the performance of Jesus and never what I was or wasn't doing. They told me that my sin was getting in the way of all that goodness. The birth of Jesus, best news ever, because, listen carefully, The fundamental sin of the human race, of you and I, is that we refuse to honor God as God at every moment of our existence. That is sin. And when we sin, we live as though Christ was never born, Christ never died on the cross, Christ never rose from the dead, that he never ascended into heaven, he's never going to return to judge the living and the dead because he's not ruling, at least at this point in my life, he's not ruling me. So when we sin, we refuse to listen to Christ, to obey Christ, to worship Christ. We refuse to work, a witness, bear witness, and worship Christ. And we live like he really doesn't matter. And we're not talking like days or weeks, even if it's just for a second, a nanosecond, sin. Think about worship. Because the word worship essentially has the idea, and you know this, uh, of worth. So for example, is Jesus worth it? to worship in a local church on a Sunday? Is Jesus worth it to bear witness to in the world or the framework in which I live? Therefore, the early church, understanding all this, said, we've got to help people see Jesus as he really is. We've got to tell people in a unique kind of way the infinite worth of the exalted and ascended King, Jesus Christ. And they did this with their Christmas services, and they did this with their Christmas celebrations. Now let me take a moment. If you haven't as of yet taken some invitations and looked for people, your friends, your neighbors, to invite, to tell them the good news, here's your opportunity. Because by their Christmas services, early church and our church, and by their Christmas celebrations, they were reminding people, listen carefully, They were reminding people, this is not a once or twice a year deal. This is a relationship, a real and loving relationship between you and God, absolutely, but between you and God and God's people and healthy relationships. In fact, let me say it like this. What healthy relationship doesn't call for time and attention and love? Okay, so where is your understanding of Christmas? What is it? Is it verse 10? Uh, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news. It's, It's the word for the gospel. Great joy. So is it great joy? Is that how you understand Christmas? Are you like Luke? Is this the best news you've ever heard? Or are you like, well, it's nice. But you don't know my life and 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 you don't know my kids and and my kids are gone and you know the world. You know, I was thinking this week, and I think this might be helpful for many of us. I was thinking, why is it that many of us, beginning with myself, instead of running to Jesus Christ first and staying with him when we sin, when we've been sinned against, or something happens that makes us sad or mad, 
Why is it that, that we lose our Christian joy right at those moments? Why is it instead of running to Jesus Christ, plunging ourselves in every gospel promise and privilege that we immediately try to fix it ourselves because that will surely bring frustration. Why? Why will it bring frustration? Let me tell you why. First, we'll try and fix it ourselves, but we'll find out if we're honest. We find out that we can't and we become frustrated. Or we think that we could fix it, but it's only a patch. It's that kind of J.B. Weld thing. Later on, it breaks again. Frustration. Or we think we have fixed it, but we have it, and deep inside us, we know it, but we just keep on like a Pharisee pretending that it's not broken. Or we became, we blame others because it can't be us. Or in our frustration, we become very sad, very mad, very frustrated, moaners and groaners and complainers, and that's how we deal with life. When Luke tells us, way back in the Bible, 2,000 years ago, I bring you good news. The best news you'll ever hear. Great joy, lasting, abiding joy, because every other thing in this world will be taken away from us. Great joy, that will be for all the people. So let me ask you another question. What is the great news? Why is it great news to be a Christian at Christmas. Okay? Why is it great news to be a Christian at Christmas? Verse 11 gives us the answer. Do you see it there? Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Loved ones, Christians celebrate Christmas because it marks the start of God's great rescue operation. The great, rich, a deep, abiding joy that we have comes because we've been rescued. A Savior has been born, rescued from our sin. That's where the real deep joy, lasting joy is. And, and do you fundamentally understand Christmas and even Christianity as a great rescue operation? And again, if you don't see this, then you can be sure that you misunderstand Christmas. And I bet if you were honest, someone cornered you and you were going to tell the truth, you could tell them, I am so frustrated most of my Christian existence. Because you don't know, you don't remind yourself, you don't live under the framework that you've been rescued. And if you don't think that, if you don't think it's about a rescue, Christianity, then you've misunderstood it. If you and I, deep in our belly, in our gut, do not know how awfully bad we need a Savior, a daily Savior, then we misunderstand Christmas and we misunderstand Christianity. That's why all that finger-wagging to the world is no good. No good. Now, you might think, well, you know, Joe, <laughs> I've known you now for a long time. You need to be rescued every day. But you might think, well, I don't need to be rescued. You might have a friend who says, I don't need to be rescued. I'm fine. But you see, listen carefully. I can guarantee you this. What we build our life on what we build as the basis of our joy will always be tested. And you see, we all need to be rescued from the great lie which says we can live well 
and push God out to the side of our lives. That's the great lie. We can live well and we're going to push God out to, our, to the side of our lives. We can treat him as a footnote in our story. And most people, you know, never, never read the footnotes. That we can use him as we see fit. However, don't you hate it when people use you? I mean, don't you hate it? Don't you hate it when people ignore you? But this is what happens so often. This is what happens. This is what we do to God. So we say to God, look, you give me the gifts. Give me fun. Give me family. Give me friends. Falling in love. Safety. Whatever it is. But I'll run my life my own way. Not your will be done, but my will be done. And you see, when that happens, the Bible doesn't airbrush this rebellion. And the Bible doesn't kind of airbrush out the, the fallout of this rebellion. Uh, this life lived um, opposing God. A life lived unrepentant to God. Eternal punishment is very real to the Bible. It's very real to Jesus. Jesus spoke about eternal punishment more than any other topic. Listen to your Bible, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything, thought, word, deed, everything is uncovered, laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We must give an account. We must give an account. So the final question, and you probably get this, who's going to pay for that? Who's going to pay for that sin? Me, us, or Jesus? Who will pay? You? Who's going to pay every time we've ignored God, we put God like in fourth place in our life? Who's going to, uh, who's going to pay for our lust and our lies and our slander and our gossip and our anger and our rage and our malice and our just judging and our unruliness and our lawlessness? Who will pay? So then the Bible beckons all of us with the most beautiful and necessary question. Here it is. Will you allow Jesus, who was born to die, to pay for your sin? It's Christianity. Will you allow Jesus, who was born to die, to pay for your sin? What a, what a great question. Of course, if we're snooty, if we're self-righteous, if we're religious, this question won't connect with us at all. However, remember what the angel said in the dream of Joseph. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. When you carefully read the Bible... This gospel is everywhere. So he was born to die. The moment he was born, he was headed to the cross where he would pay. And with the last breath of the baby, he grew up to be a young man. The last breath on the cross, Jesus cried out, Tetelestai. Right? Aramaic, it's finished. I paid it all. I paid it all. And loved ones, that's the gift of Christmas. So as you wake up on Christmas morning, whenever you open up your gifts, you have to realize that the gifts that we give to each other are gifts to help us call to mind of this gift of being saved from hell by the death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And if you're thinking, what a gift, what a gift. The child, Christmas child, the Christ child, Born to die, as the song says, so that we might live. 
Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I'm going to plead with you to be reconciled to God. Reconciled to God through the work of Jesus Christ who was born to die so that you might live. Right? Let, let your heart prepare him room. Last thing, for those of us who are committed Christians and we rejoice in the fact that Jesus is our Savior, I want to ask, do you rejoice in the fact that Jesus is your Savior? Is that the basis of your joy? Because again, every other thing will be taken away in time. And we rejoice in that fact and we know this grace and we know it's big in us. I mean, we cling to this grace tightly. And we know that just over the course of this past year, our sin could have destroyed our life if it wasn't for God's mercy in Christ. We know that our hate-fueled words could have ruined relationships if it wasn't for God's mercy in Christ. We know that our lust was kept in check. Our thoughts were constrained to only thoughts. Only because of God's mercy in Christ. So we know Christ has rescued us and has saved us from the things, these things, and, and so much more. The baby saved you. If that's you, then please let me ask you to please honor Jesus Christ. Honor Christ as you circulate in your world this Christmas season. Get out there. And in the best of ways, invite people to Christ. Invite people to Christmas services. Tell them of his love. This, this is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Christ was born as a Savior who can save them from their sins. Repent. Tell them to cry out for mercy and believe him. Now, loved ones, you're sensible people. Everyone you know who doesn't know this and doesn't believe this, they need to. And if these people are local or they're coming into town, you can tell them while they're here, the out-of-towners, you can tell them while they're here. Or our Christmas services can tell them as you bring them here about this great baby who is the basis of eternal joy with God through his birth, through his perfect life, through his res crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and soon God, his return. That's our Christian privilege. That's our Christian duty. So whether you tell them there, wherever there is, or you invite them here, both will probably be best. Both probably needed. But one, under God, can change the course of their whole life. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we would ask that our awareness of your wrath on sin grow so profoundly in us that we would appreciate the gospel more completely 
and share this good news more eagerly and compassionately and consistently within the framework of our lives for the glory, for your glory, the glory of God and for the good of all people everywhere. And may your blessing, your Christmas blessing be on the people before me and behind me right now. For Jesus' sake, amen.